2: Hello, friends. Welcome to another edition of the Tennis and Bagels Podcast. As you can see on your screen here, joining me is Hall of Famer, returning champion. Uh, he's a very familiar guest by now. Hall of Famer. You know him very well. Steve Flink. How are you, Steve? I love doing these post-major recaps with you. and I Yeah, maybe you're
0: Good to see you. Yeah, yet another major behind us. And we've, we've got a lot to talk about.
2: Yeah, we sure do. And I guess let's just start get started right away. Obviously, let's go a little bit bigger picture with Djokovic here. Uh, obviously wins his 23rd major that's the most of all time third uh, Roland Garros title by far the toughest of his uh, four majors to win Uh, he said it himself and now it's even more remarkable that he's won two of the last three and he's won every single major at least three times now and we're looking at another possibility of uh, uh, of the grand slam
1: Uh,
0: yeah not to mention Panchi He's personally won his last three because, of course, he couldn't play the U.S. Open last year. So he won Wimbledon, and that was it for him last year, and then on to Australia and Paris this year. So he's on another one of his remarkable streaks.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, let's let's talk a little bit by just how clutch he was under pressure, which has obviously become a, a major asset for him in the last several years. Um, he, he certainly had it to a certain degree in the early part of his career, but more so, I would say, in the last... Eight or nine years, especially if you want to look at his major finals record, is seventeen and four since that, uh, since losing that twenty fourteen Roland Garros match. He at one point was six and seven in major finals, and I guess you could also say fifteen of the last eighteen since. Yeah, exactly. I mean,
0: let's let which which Sterling stat do do we want to choose? Which one wins (laughs) over the other? They're both astounding. And I'm listen he. It's interesting because he actually was five and two at one time. You know, he had that great two thousand eleven, and then he started having his struggles. And ever since, boy, he's he's just been magnificent when it counts.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and that and that shows um, in his tiebreak play as well. Of course, everyone knows this stat because it's been it's been talked about so many times now. But you know, in those six tiebreaks that he played in this championship, not a single unforced error, and seventeen winners to go along with it, and that's fifty five big points played and it's, yeah. it's just remarkable his ability to raise his level in those I moments. I mean, think about
0: that, Vance, think about that 55 points. It's the better part of a set. You know, it, it could be a quick set, but it certainly would be, say, eight, nine, say, eight, eight games. I mean, that's, that's remarkable. And it's not an accident either because he, he primes for those tie breaks. But what I find uh astounding is that he doesn't, it's not like he says, okay, I'm going on defense here. I'm not going to miss a ball. I'm just going to get every ball back and they'll crack. No, when he, when he has an opening to be aggressive, as he did on the first point of the tie break in the final against rude, and he ripped that forehand winner down the line, he goes for it and he makes it. And th- this was, this was maybe his best uh, collection of tie breaks in a tournament ever. I would say, you know, to go six and O oh, and they were a part of almost every match. And sometimes they were crucial. Uh, they were it. it that was true in the final. It was true in the second set against Hachinoff to avoid going down two sets to love. It was certainly true against of uh, 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 Davidovich Fokina, who you know who really pushed him hard.
2: Yeah, and I thought that Davidovich Fokina match was really really key for him, just in terms of it being an indicator for you know how sharp is he going to be in the later stages of of this tournament. Because as you and I both know, he didn't have a great deal of success in these warm up events. Um, even in Rome, and he was always kind of struggling with niggling injuries, really all throughout this year, actually. If, even if you include Australia, and yeah, just has been. yeah, you're and, right. And he's and, he's made it clear that the focus is all on the on the majors, and once again, he's found a way to to play his best.
0: But you think about it, what what I what stands out to me is you remember say two years ago when he won his second French, and you know he was struggling in the beginning; he wasn't feeling well at the beginning he kind of got going he eventually made the finals of rome you know and then he played another tournament in Serbia. you know he wins that his formula is usually to make sure he plays a lot on the clay and he wants to build a little confidence he didn't really get that opportunity this time and he 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 had to skip madrid and then rome was his best with a quarter final that was his best so that i i felt like that might hinder him more going into this just the lack of match play because he'd already missed Indian Wells in Miami and the lack of confidence of not doing better having some kind of a lift because every other year either winning Rome getting to the final of Rome you know there's been something to kind of uh, spur him on to make him feel like it's his best form is just about there didn't have that this time and you're right there were the niggling injuries there wasn't it was the elbow and then apparently in, in Rome, also, he had some kind of an issue with his shoulder. Yep. So they, were, they weren't they were necessarily crippling injuries, but they were nagging and they were definitely getting in his way. So that's why the Fakina Davidovich, that's why that match is so crucial, because the first two sets were marathons and, and the Spaniards served for the first set. At, after three doubles from Novak in the previous game and Djokovic broke back and wins that in a tie break, 3-1 down. And then he's in the second set tie break after he'd saved a set point on his serve at 5-6, he, uh, he was up 4-1 double mini break. And the next thing you know, he's down 4-5 serving. He'd lost four points in a row, and he managed to win three in a row to close that out. And as he said later, I mean, it was still three hours, 36 minutes. He said later that – it could have been five hours, and he's right. If he loses one of those sets, I don't think he would have allowed himself to lose. I don't think he would have lost the match, but he would have been out there a lot longer. It would have been aggravating. It was very windy, as you know, through almost every day of this tournament. The final was a bit better, although the wind acted up midway through the final, but it's certainly better conditions than most of the other days. So, yeah, I think that third-round match was critical.
2: Yeah, no doubt about it. And Then, of course, then he was down a set against Khachanov as well. And, uh, yes. you know, a lot of, you know, Hachinau came out playing very well, hitting his forehand, extremely aggressive. And you you saw Djokovic go to those higher loopier moonball type yeah. shots as well to get some of the rhythm back and, you know, assert himself with his own forehands. And right from 5-6 in the, in the second set, I felt like the match completely, and the match and the momentum completely shifted. And he went into this gear where he was playing the best tennis of, that I've ever seen him, him play this well, year in terms for, the, for the third yeah, set. I mean, and
0: certainly, especially from the tie break where he didn't lose a point against Hatch through the third six six-two-third set right up to a four, two in the fourth. He was brilliant. Then he, you know, serving into the wind, he got broken. He was a little aggravated, but even that was just a blip on the radar screen because from four all, he didn't lose another point, eight straight points. So yes, yeah, he, that was that was an interesting match and I don't know you you probably saw his press coverage he said afterwards he thought those were the first two sets were the worst he would played in the tournament that was the most negative he sounded uh and then he was pleased that he played a really good tie break and the rest of the way but he wasn't happy with how he'd started that but still he finished it strong enough that I think he came into the Carlos Alcaraz match in the good very good frame of mind
2: Absolutely yeah let's let's talk about that Carlos Alcaraz match obviously so much anticipation so much pressure for the, you know, for the first time it felt like in a really really big match, best of five. Djokovic was the underdog according to the bookies, and many of and uh, and Carlos had some pressure and weight on his shoulders in terms of being able to deliver on a really big stage like this, and uh, and uh, that certainly seemed to be uh, what what decided it in in the end at one all in the third set when when we saw him have full body cramps. At first it was the hand, then we later found out it was kind of the whole body, and I just felt like it was the combination of. The, the physicality as well, the heat, but, but more importantly, the nerves, which he even admitted as well, that nervous energy and just being a, just that cramp. We saw it before in Miami against Sinner, but this just yes. had to be really debilitating for him to not be able to really play anywhere close to his best for the rest of the rest of the match.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it was reminiscent of the Sinner match, but even worse. Well, I thought it was just very revealing that he would talk about the nerves. He was very honest about it about how it was this, the nerves, and it obviously specifically directed it at playing Djokovic. He didn't just say, well, it's the semifinals. No, he said, it's playing Djokovic here. He he understood what, what it was a recognition of Djokovic's expertise, you might say, in these surroundings and how he, you know, he's so tough to beat in majors. And and I was surprised that he was as candid as he was about that, you know, I mean, I. And in turn, Djokovic talked about how he felt Alcaraz might have felt a little pressure, you know, being the favorite for the first time. That, that was a little bit of a different feeling for him. Whatever the reasons, that was an incredibly severe reaction to Kramps. I, I admired him, by the way, for staying out there those last two sets. I mean, yes, he had limited mobility and once sometimes if Novak wouldn't hit with enough angle or depth, Carlos would just take a big swing out, it just swing freely and go for the winner and make it or make a drop shot, but it was so fleeting. Uh, so it was a shame because I'm sure you agree the first two sets were just electrifying.
2: Yeah, it was electrifying tennis from both, and I thought in turn Djokovic did his homework really, really well and started to, you know, use some of the patterns that we've seen. For example, Carlos use against uh, or Carlos struggle against against Sinner with like the precision and the depth and the Djokovic's ability to just keep him. Uh, camped in the in the forehand corner and rushed on that yes. wing, and it was the backhand <laughs> down the line the forehand cross court sharp angles and... Yeah,
0: I thought the forehand cross court the backhand down the line was important and well executed I thought the forehand cross court was the most important facet of the, the because he had to execute that well when they played in Madrid last year he hit that shot very well also and it almost won him the match he ended up losing in a third set tie break but this time yeah he kept him at bay in that first set and I honestly feel that he, he had that little arm issue in the middle of the second set, you know, and where Novak and yeah. he went to the change over three, four, still on serve, but in the previous game, his arm had been shaking his arm out when he held serve and hit a back in down the line and sort of winced and shook the arm out. And I felt like it distracted him. He wasn't quite sure what to expect after the trainer came out and rubbed his arm. And that's when he ended up losing his serve to go down five, three, but then really surprised me. I thought Carlos would serve it out and we Get on to the third. It would be interesting. And Djokovic made his move, broke back with that beautiful backhand down the line winner, and then from love 40 in the next game, that was spectacular what he did to hold on, hold serve at five straight points and get to five all. And then after all that, he has a break point in the next game and missed what were, for him was a fairly routine high backhand. Certainly a ball he should have kept in play. And I think if he would have broken there, it probably would have been his set. Instead, he comes round at five six, a bit disappointed gets broken at love after that serve volley attempt on the first point didn't work and he missed the back-end volley cross court wide, the first volley. And so uh, it it was really interesting at that stage. I still think he felt like he was playing really well despite losing the second set. Carlos felt good that he, initially, I think, just that he was back to one set all and in the match, but then we had the, the, it it was, the the image is sort of indelibly, uh, it's etched indelibly in my mind. I mean, I can just still see him writhing there after missing the return to make it one-all. Carlos, you know, after he missed that forehand return and then having to sit there with the trainer and get his legs rubbed, and it was so hopeless. And uh, tough, I thought, for Djokovic too, because he wasn't quite sure how to play it from that point on. He wanted to just be solid and not go for too much, but he didn't want to also make it, he hit too many balls down the middle. It's always tricky when... You have an opponent in that kind of condition, but he he handled it with his typical professionalism and just got the job done. And next thing you know, you know he won he he'd won that those six straight games to win the uh, the third set. You know, after being down love one and then five more eleven in a row before he finally lost a game. But it was sad to have tennis of that spellbinding quality for two sets and then have it just be uh, to see that Carlos was so crippled the last two. I don't know what your impressions were. I felt like Djokovic probably was going to win that match, regard, You know, had the cramps not occurred. But obviously, we're just speculating. I just feel like he wasn't that disconcerted. He was a little bit irked. And it came through a bit in when he did his analysis of the match in the press conference. He alluded to that second set. You could tell he was a bit annoyed that it had gotten away in the end after the comeback. But I don't think that would have discouraged him that deeply i think he would have. he was ready to get as he said he was ready to sort of start anew start over and then as far as carlos is concerned yeah i think his attitude would have been good but obviously with conditioning conditioning like that it's i, I guess if he was in that mental state and had those nerves and wasn't able to break free of them even after winning the second set how is it not going to happen at some point along the way in the third so I, I guess there was a certain inevitability in the end, sadly. And you hope that it's a problem that can be solved by him and his team, uh, because you don't want to see too many Sinner matches or Djokovic matches. These two that we're talking about in Miami and Roland Garros, you don't want to see that happen. To come. oddly, as you know, at the U.S. Open last year, Alcaraz, you know, three times came of a breakdown in the fifth set, started with Chilich and then Sinner, and and then you know it, he then he he. he he fought hard. He had a tough-this set, actually, with Tiafoe. Uh, but he eventually broke free and won that in five. But the thing is that he won three five-setters in a row, followed by a tough four-setter. And and his conditioning was there.
2: Yeah, it's interesting points you bring up, because I don't think, actually, the physic. I don't think it's a question of, like, durability and stamina, because he's shown us that before on the U.S. Open... Uh, yeah. Along with also earlier in the clay court season last year when he played those two grueling matches against Diminor and then won the final against Karenio Busta. So he's shown it many times that like physically, uh physically he can last these long matches. I just I, I just wonder what he and his team do about uh about the sort of nerve management in a big situation like this moving moving forward, because obviously, you know, he
0: he tries to stay relaxed, you've seen him with the smiling and playing to the crowd in a very nice way. I don't mean that critically. Uh, But obviously, there was something very different going on inside the in in the inner Alcoraz was it was it was a different story. He was obviously feeling that pressure immensely. And it's interesting, given that, you know, he's won a major already, he won the US Open last year. You know, he would have been a threat in Australia, but he couldn't play there. And he'd had such a great spring. And, yeah, one loss, but a couple of great titles. Again, he came in riding very high to Roland Garros and confidence. So it's interesting that how it all played out and, and what it, what it, uh, how it plays out in the future, too. You know, to, to see let's if he gets in, say, some more similar situation to Wimbledon, what happens then. Can, can he conquer it is my question.
2: Yeah, and what do you sort of think about his chances uh, on the grass? Because I did feel like sort of last year, he lost that match against Zarev. He had some physical issues. I don't think he came into the tournament fully 100% healthy. Uh, in in, in rolling Garros, he skipped Rome before that. Um, and he also didn't play any warm-up events, Queens or anything like that. And he had that really tough first round. And eventually, Sinner was just too good and rushed him and was just the better player in that fourth round meeting. But I wonder what what will sort of happen this time around? Because I feel like he has some attributes that could be really, really good for him on the grass uh, in terms yeah, of aggressive although, coming forward at net.
0: Yeah, I agree. He he has a lot of good skills. You know, will, is it necessarily going to be his best court? I don't know. I don't know. You know, he takes such big cuts at his forehand. Will that be a factor? Yeah. It's hard to, it, it, I, I, it's, I don't doubt he'll adapt, but he's still relatively inexperienced. Uh, I mean, it, the draw will be interesting to see if he can get tested by some guys that are pretty good on that surface. How how he answers that bell, you know, how what happens then? I mean, I don't think his his confidence is greatly diminished or anything, but I do think he's coming in. It's still relatively foreign to him, and so uh, I I'm fascinated to see how he performs there. Certainly expect that Djokovic will be seated one, Carlos two, so. This time, I don't think we could see them meet before the final, unless the, unless Medvedev goes on some kind of a tear here, you know, and picks up enough points to pass him. I don't know whether he really could. I don't. I, I doubt that, but it, it's possible.
2: Yeah, and um, you you have to make Djokovic a very clear favorite at Wimbledon. Oh and yes, it's him against the field really at, at Wimbledon because there's not too many contenders that I could really think of at the top of my head, and the one that comes to my mind right away is. probably like Medvedev, but I just don't, you know, even he has never been to the quarters at Wimbledon before. And even he is, it's just not as natural for him as the hard courts or the other faster. No, it's not.
0: It's not. He's played some good grass court tennis in some of the other events. You see the potential, obviously with his serve, that helps. And he seems pretty comfortable off the ground from the backcourt. He looks okay. Uh, But again, you wouldn't call it his favorite court. You'd say hard courts, obviously. He calls himself a hard court specialist. So I think that's largely true. So, you know, it's hard to know who are going to be the biggest threats to Novak in the end. I just expect that Djokovic will do come kind of, it'll be similar a bit to last the last few years. I think the first few rounds, he might struggle a bit. He won't have any grass court matches. He's not planning to play any tournaments. So, it, and the grass is so slick initially that I think maybe he has a few problems early on against whoever it might be, but you got to believe he'll survive that. And then by the, Third or fourth round, he's he's finding it. And the courts are also changing. And then by the second week, it's getting better and better for him. That's how I look at it. He won it four times in a row, seven altogether, going to Ty Rogers' record of eight. And he already was confident enough being halfway to the grand slam. But now, you know, being Wimbledon and the success he's enjoyed there in recent years and how well he's played there, I think he's going to be feeling really good about his chances. Plus, the other guys know know how know how great he is uh, in, in that venue.
2: Yeah, couldn't agree more. Um I guess let's talk a lot about let's talk a little bit about Casper Ruud because um you know that's now three of the last five major finals that he's reached. Um and and also he's been in so many big matches now already. But uh to me this was a this was an impressive effort and, and a pretty good showing for Casper. Um in the final as well, but also just throughout the whole tournament, just the way he took care of business and also just knowing his form sort of coming in, you and I both, uh, you know, we talked previously that he took an off season break in February. And of course he went on that long exhibition tour with Nadal uh, and he didn't have a whole lot of form coming into this French open as well, just that one title in Estero, but really, and, and started to play better in Rome, but then Jari beat him in Geneva. And, you know, once I saw him get through that kind of a match, in the fourth round, a player who can really rush him and make him very uncomfortable with his power and make him defend a lot on his backhand. Uh, once he was able to survive that and get came back from a breakdown in the second and the third set, I really felt like he's going to be really tough to stop with his forehand and physicality and just the confidence in best of five. I, I feel like uh, those two major finals give him a lot of belief that in best of five he can, you know, out physical and out physical most of the players on on the tour on the surface. So uh, Yeah, then that,
0: I, I agree with all that. I think then it was interesting. Then he's in the quarters and, and it's a rematch against Rune, And that was that was an odd performance from Runa. I don't understand why he didn't recover better from the Sarundalo yeah. match. Granted, that was a very taxing fist set tiebreak match. Could have gone either way. That could take a lot out of anybody. I get it. But it's a day off. You're 20 years old. I mean, it. I didn't understand that. He just seemed way out of sorts the first two sets. It was hard to tell what was going on. And then he managed to find a, a little bit of form in the third, but it was too late. And Ruud closed him out in four sets. So that that was disappointing for the quality of the first two sets. It was disappointing from him. And I don't know. He, he, he puzzles me, too, with the conditioning, with some of these conditioning issues or some of the um, oh, I don't want to say lack of mental stability, but but it, it, he's a little erratic mentally. There are times when he seems very mature, like he was when he played Djokovic in Rome. Did a nice job. When Djokovic won the second set, he just buckled right down and, and really was solid as a rock in the third. And he and he was amazing, excuse me, amazing against Novak in that Paris indoor final last fall to beat him in that final. But So we've seen those times, but then we've also seen a lot of immaturity so I, I i i credit rude for taking full advantage of it and then the Zarev match which i thought conceivably would have been very close was not close at all and we saw that Zarev had a leg injury that there was a release sent out He pulled out of the grass court tournament this week because of the leg injury that he happened to him thursday they say in practice so he was already hurting going into that match it explains the one-sidedness in fairness the casper rude played a terrific match and probably would have been hard to beat anyway. I just think he would have had to work a lot harder. But nonetheless, who would have thought, Vonch, that he'd be back in that final? I mean, not the way he played through the preponderance of the clay court circuit. It was not a good clay court campaign. It hadn't been a good year all around. And he knew he was protecting a lot of points, and it could have worked very differently. And I I really think that's going to bolster his confidence a lot, that he would be back in the finals two years in a row, and he played a much better match than he did against RAF a year ago. To get back to your original point, it kind of reminded me a bit of the way Sitsipas challenged Novak in Australia and was not even rewarded with a set. In yeah. that case, you know, it was like one break for Novak in the first, on serve all the way in the second, Djokovic wins the tie break, exchange early breaks in the third, another tie break, Djokovic wins that. So Sitsubas had so little to show for his good play. This this was kind of reminiscent where in this case, Rude was up a break in the first set and and Djokovic, you know, managed to kind of shake free of whatever was going on physically or mentally to get back on serve and managed to hold on. Novak did from four or five, love 30. I thought that was a big hold. Came to the net three of the next four points to hold on to get to five. All this set could have been gone there. And then, but then they both held. So Rude's done a nice job. He's still in a tie break. And then we get another immaculate tie break from Djokovic, you know, winning at seven points to one Brilliant start with a forehand winner. and He ends it with a, you know, a forehand winner, an ace and a forehand winner and was pretty spectacular in between as well. So I, I think, I think that was very jarring for rude, but still, to get back to your point. Okay, he gets broken early in the second. joke he made Novak work hard for the break, but Novak finally got it and r- raced off to that early lead and and got up five two. Even and had a couple of set points and Rude served his way out of that before Novak closed the set up. So you can't say that's a terrible set one break, he didn't collapse. And then the third, Rude played quite well in the third, fought off a break point at one all, didn't lose his serve until they got to five all. But those last three games, from Djokovic, were just first rate. I mean, he loses one point. He's hitting winners left and right. He had two aces in the four-five game that really helped him to take pressure off and get the hold and get to five-all. And then from there, he would, it was it was really a sight to behold. And only foot he put out of line was on the first match point at forty love because Wood lobbed that return, and Novak had to play an overhead off the return. And then on his next shot, he pulled a forehand wide that he would normally make, but that yeah, was no big deal because he, he sealed it on the second match point with ease. So I thought that was a great finish, a great start to the tiebreaker from Djokovic, a nice recovery from Djokovic in the first set, a really fir- a good second set from Djokovic, and then a good close those last three games. But Rude standards were pretty high bunch. I mean, he he couldn't have asked too much more of himself. You could tell he was a bit frustrated that he wasn't able to, play a better game on his serve at 4-2 in the first set would have made a big difference if he holds for 5-2 and Novak broke him there and that's where he got back into the set but listen he started really well he acquitted himself well it, it to me it was more reminiscent of the way he played against Carlos Alcaraz in the U.S. Open final than it was of the way Rude played against Rafa in last year's French final he made it more competitive and he did a nice job and I who knows where he goes from here but i just i i got to say to look at what you were alluding to earlier just look at miami last year and he's in the finals against carlos and then he's in the finals against rafa at the french finals against carlos at the us open finals against novak in the year end championships and now this but all of the opponents every these guys were just too good for him you know and i i think that's the part that's the hard reality for him is how does he overcome Players of that stature, you know, obviously two all time greats in Novak and Rafa and and now an Alcaraz is only going to get better. So, I mean, I don't think that Rude can get too preoccupied with that bunch. He's got to just get on with his job and he's doing a nice he's doing that quite well. And I think getting to a second straight French final is going to keep is going to really kind of spur him on for the rest of the season.
2: Yeah, I largely agree with a lot of what you said there. I mean, I would say uh, you beat me to the Sitsipas comparison because I was gonna make that one about the about the Australian final. But I you know, I, I do think he's just in a weird spot at the moment at, at the minute because you know, logically you would think okay, he has a good chance, he can win a major. He's young, he's 24, there's plenty of good years around him, but he's kind of sandwiched in between two generations, two situations here where you have Novak yeah. who is probably gonna be primed for another two years. And then you have, you know, these, these, you know, Carlos, it's not just Carlos, though. There's Sinner, there's Runa. Yeah. What if, you know, Medvedev? And no, Runa. he can, he can hold
0: his own. He can hold his own with the Sinners and Runa's, yeah. but, but still it's, it's difficult. You're right. Not to mention the whole cluster of other guys that on any given day, someone like a Jerry who had beaten him the last time they played prior to Roland Garros. go. So yeah, he, it, it's not going to be easy. On the other hand, he, he just strikes me as a top of the line professional that, you know, he's just going to keep doing his job as well as he can do it every day. And he's got pretty darn good mechanics. And sure, there's still some issues with his back end, but he's got a great forehand. His back end is improved. Uh, He volleys nicely. uh, And and his serve, I think, is a bit underrated. I think, you know, the fact that Novak broke him so few times. Novak got the one break back in the first set, broke him early in the second and late in the third. Three breaks in three sets against Novak Djokovic. That's no embarrassment.
2: Yeah, I just, you know, I just feel like he's a little narratively stuck. It's a bit like Sitsipas, where it's just, uh, you know, you would, and, you know, to his credit, I think he's worked on a lot of his weaknesses, even more than some of those other guys and Sitsipas Zverev, and players like that, because he is hitting his backhand on the line a little bit better. He is taking a few more risks, and they do feel safe, and like you said, his serve is kind of a little underrated. He has that low ball toss and very quick motion. It's a little hard to read for a lot of the top yeah. guys, and... So he's certainly holding his own and making making a move. I gotta think he's go, he's probably gonna something that would help is if he just won like a Masters one thousand, and if he just won one of these big titles. I just think he'd just more players would start to f- feel like okay, like Casper is a Casper is a real threat, and uh, and you know they'd start to fear him a bit more, and he'd have more of a more of that aura factor walking onto the court because he has played his last two major finals well.
0: Yeah, no, he has. He has. And listen, he, it's it's true. He's got to find a way to start winning some 500s, too. And yeah. start with the 500s. Win some 1,000s, 1, 1, and that will all help him. On the other hand, when he can look back and say, I've been in two French finals in a row. I've been in the U.S. Open final. He realizes, okay, I've shown everybody that I can do this. And I've lost to great players. And I'm going to keep plugging away, and my time will come. And, and who knows? Maybe he does squeeze one off. But if he's one of these guys... That ends his career, losing you know another four or five major finals, and just stays in the top ten in the world for a long time. That's no disgrace either, yeah. and that may may be what he has to settle for.
2: Yeah, I think so too. Um, I guess that, let's talk about a few more of the upsets that sort of happened earlier on in the tournament. Uh, I wanted to get your thoughts about Sinner actually, because obviously he played. Uh, you know, Sinner has been fairly close in terms of he's always been losing to the runner-up or the winner in the last three, four majors that he's played um, you know against against Novak at Wimbledon and then U.S. Open when he had match point against Alcaraz and then at the Australian Open this year losing a tight one to Tsitsipas. Here he loses another tight match although it's a match he's very much on paper expected to win should have won it had the match points in the fourth set yeah you know didn't put away the overhead and a lot of chances in the fifth and where do you kind of see his season now because he's Sort of had he had a good start to the year, you know, doing well in the Masters 1000, beat beat Alcaraz in Miami, and then you know, got a bit sick in the build up to the French Open, which I think really hurt him, um, in a big way in terms of getting some more matches that he would have liked. But uh, this was an opportunity here with Medvedev out of the uh, out in the first round, who he has an 0 6 record against. I felt like this was his yeah. time to make a major semifinal, and it didn't happen.
0: Yeah, listen, I thought I was so impressed, regardless of. Carlos had a couple of issues, cramps, and, and another injury in that match, but still in Miami, and Sinner played beautifully. And then it was a bit, it was a bit disappointing in the final. But as as you said, he's 0-6 with Merv, It's just real headaches with him. So, you, but I I didn't really feel that after the Runa loss in a really hard fought, high quality Monte Carlo match that he played had a good clay court circus. I didn't like what I saw coming into this event. And sure enough, I think it led to this loss. And maybe he would have closed it out, as you said. You know, put it away one overhead, and he's right there. It's right on his racket at match point. And I, I once it went five, it was a roll of the dice, and he almost pulled it out, but wasn't quite good enough to do it. But I was disappointed, and uh, but not shocked because I felt the clay court circuit should have been better for him. He should. I expected to see him do more than he did. So, once again, we just wonder what, when is it going to happen for him? He's so, he's so overpowering at times. He's very gifted. He's very driven. It's all there. The package is there, I think, for him to be threatening and winning some majors in the future. But so far, I think he's a little behind schedule. I mean, we'll see what happens at Wimbledon. Last year, he had the two-set lead against Novak. Wasn't able to close him out, but it was a great performance nonetheless let's let's see i'd see i i I keep being a a little i i feel i'm just a little disappointed thus far in his progress some of it is bad luck your match point against carlos at the u.s open i mean he he played well enough to win that match and who's to say that if he wins that match what he would have gone on to do but so far those magic golden moments have not happened for him i do think he's really lucky to have cahill in his corner and that that might eventually that's where the rewards may he may event, reap the rewards sooner than we think because Kao really knows what he's talking about. But to me, he's still an underachiever do you do you agree with that?
2: Yeah, um, to a certain extent, for sure. Uh, I mean you I, I certainly would have expected him to have won a Master's one thousand by now or to have you know flipped a little bit more of those head to heads more than he has. Um, you know that is a little concerning that he has a losing record against almost everyone in the top 10 aside from Rublev and Alcaraz and he is a bit more injury prone than I would like too so you know and you you saw the breakthrough that he had in 2020 when he got to the quarters as a 19 year old and he played Nadal here and he played him very tight and so since that time you know three years ahead I would have expected a little bit more I do agree with that actually.
0: I think a lot about those Nadal matches yeah and and serving for the first set and Again, you understood it then, uh, but now he's got a lot more seasoning, a couple more years behind him, and it doesn't seem to change. And and I, I feel a little sorry for him because I I he wants it so badly, and he's so capable. And I you you figure long term he's going to be one of the most important rivals for Carlos for sure. But he's got to get to him more too. I mean, he's got to be recording the same kinds of results and always be consistently be in the latter stages of majors and winning some one thousands and. Look, there's a lot. Uh, there's a lot of chances still available to him the rest of this year. So I, I want to reserve judgments. I don't want to be too hard on him now, but I, I hope something can break for him between now and the end of the year that can change his outlook.
2: Yeah, certainly, and of course he's still only 21. But I just yeah. there, there's one more thing also in the in the press conference. I didn't. I, I felt like he'd be a little more disappointed than he was because he didn't mention. He did, he, he did kind of, you know, he was asked, like, what is his goals for the year? And he mentioned that he, he really wants to make Turin. And I'm thinking, like, okay, I mean, you did that two years ago as an alternate. You didn't quite. You didn't get there last year because, yeah. you know, no, no points at Wimbledon, and, you know, your, your ranking, you were losing a lot of quarterfinals and you didn't really have that big title. But I'm thinking, like, you could aim a little higher than that, you know, like, like Turin, like, I, I feel like he's a top five, top six player, like, he should get there, like, you know. Like, I I think it's a different mindset. Like, I think Holger Runa in that position probably would have said, you know, I want to win a slam, you know, by the end of this year. And maybe that's just psychological. Maybe he is just a lot more process oriented and it's just, could be. It's not so much driven by immediate goals, but just I would like him to set the bar a little higher.
0: I wouldn't doubt that behind the scenes, when he's talking with his coaches and his family and his friends, that he's saying slightly different things. I I don't mean that critically, but it's sort of protecting himself publicly in a way. That's that's the feeling I get.
2: Mm, yeah. Certainly, uh, certainly hope you can he can get to the latter stages more often now and get that major semifinal and just, you know, because these matches against Carlos are absolutely riveting and it's some of the highest quality tennis we've seen. So
0: listen, it would be fun to see them re-engage at Wimbledon again this year. See a rematch yeah. at Wimbledon. I would love to see that to see if he could still beat him on the grass the way he did a year ago'd i give him a, a decent chance so i I, I uh w- we'll see we'll see he's a very appealing guy in his way and and i I love to watch him play and when he's in full flight he's a, he's a joy to, to watch so let's hope that things will, will turn around for him
2: yeah certainly and then of course uh, obviously the big one is medvedev uh came into this you know with the you know number one in the race and basically won all those titles and you know, one, one in Rome, and that didn't seem like a fluke either because he's improved his forehand and he's he beat some real quality players to win that title. And you know, you would think uh, expectations are pretty high for him to. I mean, I had him getting all the way to the final in my pre tournament predictions as well. And I and, M- and maybe that, yeah, because I just yeah. felt like his his draw was good. Uh, and, until he you know, I didn't know who the qualifier was, and I knew you know that qualifier is very dangerous. And Thiago Zybo, Bilch. he's Wilch, he's a pretty underrated underrated guy in general and we haven't really seen his best level in three years or so, but he has one of the best forehands in the game. And I do feel like he he played an outstanding match, played out of his skin, especially in the last two sets. But Medvedev on the other hand didn't play so well and he hit fifteen double faults. And I felt like he's he should be controlling that serve a bit better. I know it's windy, but he should certainly should have put that match away.
0: He also got broken three times in the fifth set, which is not acceptable for him. Uh mm-hmm. yeah, I I I don't disagree with you. That guy's forehand Brazilian's forehand. I don't want to even be, I'm not going to even try pronouncing his name, Vance, I leave that to you, but uh, it, that, his forehand is phenomenal. And that that's in, in the end, won him the match because he went for the line so often and hit them so frequently. But I was disappointed in Medvedev. Like you, I thought he had a decent shot at getting to the finals. Would have thought he would at least make the semis and kind of wasted his triumphant run in Rome, which was so joyous for him to finally win a clay court tournament and do it at a Masters 1000. And here's a guy with five titles this year, and he loses in the third round of the Australian. He loses in the first round of Roland Garros, and who knows what he'll do at Wimbledon? Obviously, if he could, if he if he survives those early rounds, he you know he could uh, he could do quite well at Wimbledon. He, you know, who's to say he, he, he's got a shot at it? And he certainly could get to the final, but. I don't understand somebody playing that well week in and week out in that many big tournaments. And okay, maybe he got caught up guard in court and played a very good match against him in Australia. He might have been hurting a little. Who's to say? But this one shouldn't have happened in my view. This one, he should have survived. And who's to say if he had if he would have survived it, maybe he would have gone on a, on a pretty good run in, at Roland Garros. So that's what makes him so interesting. We've seen these ups and downs with from him across the last few years. That are sometimes very unexpected, and uh, you know he, he he's got a lot to be proud of with the way he's played this year. But let's let's see what he does now in the last two majors after being so subpar in the first two.
2: Yeah, I'm very curious about Wimbledon because like last year was you know psychologically he wasn't in a great place obviously with his game and just uh, you know wasn't allowed to play Wimbledon. Uh, but yeah. I'm curious to see just if there's any progress made on that surface and. You know, if he can go pretty deep, because logically, you would if you look at his game, you would think, you know, there are probably a few things, like with the return position and just, uh, you know, playing too much defense maybe at times. Uh, but I, I feel like he can, I feel like he has a type of game that can translate well to grass, but we just haven't seen it in full flow yet.
0: Yeah, I don't know whether he'll, he would ever be as good on grass as he is on par. Yeah. But uh, he could be close. He could be close and the serve alone should make him quite dangerous at the all England club. No, no doubt about it. But listen, you know, psychologically he's a hard guy to understand. I did feel to to his credit, he didn't get too flustered in that loss at Roland Garros. His -hmm. temperament was okay. We've seen him when he really sort of loses it mentally and does a lot of whining to his corner and, and, His honorage, he sort of gives away that he's so frazzled. I didn't get that impression this time, but he still didn't play well. The stability in his game was still not there when he needed it. So uh, Wimbledon will be very interesting because, granted, he'll have his chances after Wimbledon to get back on hard and go back to the open, and all of that is there for him. But I don't think he wants a third straight Disappointment at a major. I think he wants to at least make a run at Wimbledon and go deep into the draw.
2: Yeah, certainly. And he also switched that whole clay court narrative. You know about him. Not that he really needed to, but I just felt like you know, in Rome he showed a bit more. And you know, maybe the conditions did really help him there in terms of it not be, not bouncing so high up and it was so slow and dead a lot of the times. It was really rainy for those two weeks and didn't have to slide as much. He could basically essentially play his hard court game with a few adjustments. And he, he adapted his game well to it. So certainly he could. Yeah, and he didn't.
0: He wasn't track. wild about the heavier balls and Roland Garros, I get that. And, and he yeah. didn't feel like he could penetrate with his shots the same way with a combination of spin and power like his opponent could. I get all that. And it forehand was, didn't look as good as it had in Rome, but still you just gotta find a way to get through those matches somehow and will your way through it. And he didn't do that. And I'm sure that was frustrating. And, uh, but still, he's right back out on the grass now. He's trying to prepare well for Wimbledon. He'll be glad that he gets a chance to go back there this year. And he still does have the the confidence of how well he played over, over the majority of this season. So he'll be fascinating to watch at Wimbledon.
2: Yeah, for sure. Someone else who I think will be pretty fascinating is Taylor Fritz. Because of course, yeah. he, um, you know, he, he, I would say he had an okay clay season. Like I, you know, I was impressed with him in Monte Carlo and, you know he had certainly had chances to even win that semi-final against Rublev and then he he sort of played many matches he was sort of winning a couple of matches every single week and losing a tight one you know just not coming through in the clutch and some of these some of these moments and I felt like that against Serundo as well it's no disgrace because Serundo is a great clay court player himself and you know probably someone who, it's not a major upset to see him lose to Sarundo in a, in a third round match at Roland Garros but uh, he, I think he can take a, a lot from this clay court season and he can be a should be doing a lot better in these majors though. I think now from now on, I mean, he's only been a top player for the last year. So I don't want to be that harsh of him because that perception wasn't there beforehand, but I do definitely think, you know, Wimbledon and U S open, those are the ones where you could really see him get to a semifinal final, even when the thing. If yeah. The oh, breaks, this,
0: right. No doubt about it. He had the shock first round loss at the open last year, but he, uh, Played well at Wimbledon and probably should have beaten Rafa. Rafa just won it maybe on know-how, experience, confidence, having I mean, won the first two majors. There probably many factors that got him through that match yeah. when he was obviously hurting. So Taylor, yes, I I hope that he really has got himself, is priming himself for Wimbledon. I feel like so far he's tended to treat every tournament the same way, which in some ways is terrific, you know, and he's gotten him some good results and he bounces back from, bruising losses, but uh, you'd like to see him. You're right. You'd like to see him. And yet there's, there's going to be opportunities in abundance hopefully at, at these next two majors, but he wants to start off with a good Wimbledon. And obviously with his serve and his game, he's well-suited to, he can do some, some very good things at Wimbledon. I, and I, I hope the draw is kind. And I do think he's got a kind of a good persevering attitude and he doesn't get too, weighed down by by defeats I mean, he doesn't like losing but he tends to sort of get right on with the next tournament so yeah, yeah I, I'm glad you brought him up I think he he can be a factor at Wimbledon for sure
2: yeah for sure um, I guess uh, is there any other players that really caught your eye that you're curious about either for the grass season on the men's side or just um, about the Roland Garros campaign that impressed you or maybe vice versa
0: well, I felt I feel like I was a little sorry retrospectively that Sarundalo didn't win that match mm. against Holger only because I think physically he would he, it would have been a different turnaround for him and he would have gone out against Casper It Could have been a great riveting match and who's to know what might have happened? But I'm very impressed with his progress. Uh, he's not the same player I've seen in years gone by. I like where I like where he's headed. I don't see him. I, it's not going to happen for him at Wimbledon. I seriously doubt that, but I liked, I liked how he played on the clay and I had a lot of sympathy for him, not winning that match in that it was really much in the end, almost a flip of the coin as to who was going to take that, that final set tie break. So he impressed, he impressed me a lot. I'm trying to think of anybody else who could potentially look, I mean, obviously I'm fascinated to see what happens to Curios, who's been gone this long and Remembers the run that he had at Wimbledon last year. Obviously, it's the the grass suits him to the hilt with his serve and his game. But can he do it in this short span of time, just trying to get ready with a few grass court events, be ready to kind of go back and 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 make that kind of a a similarly stirring run this year? I mean, it's possible, but I I I don't know. I mean, I I think it would have been different if he kept going and. He played so well last summer, and obviously he beat Medvedev over the summer twice, you know, uh, including at the Open. And then, you know, shortly thereafter, after Tokyo, I guess he just was out of commission. And I'm wondering, can he do it after so much time away from the sport? I have my doubts, but I certainly will find him one of the more compelling figures there to see where he lands in the draw and what he can do and what his frame of mind is whether he can sort of draw on the memories of a year ago and try to recreate it and, uh, and, and find himself back in the final again this year, doubtful, but uh, well worth watching.
2: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I would also throw in like Milo roundage coming back after two years and yeah winning a match on the grass. He's certainly a very natural grass court player and one, one of the better movers on that just for that surface in particular. So I think, uh,
0: yeah, no. Yes, I hope I'm. I, 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 I'm happy that he's happy that he's coming back now, and the timing couldn't be better. And he loves the grass. And yeah, he'll be. You know, who knows where he lands? But you know, no, nobody's going to enjoy playing him, even after all this time away. So yeah, I'll, I'll be watching round, round as closely as well. But obviously, otherwise, it's going to be the usual suspects. I do wonder whether Sitsipas, I mean, he happened to lose to Kyrgios a year ago. That was a tough draw to play him yeah. at the end of the first week. But uh, you know, can he find the adjustment? I mean, we've seen what he can do on clay. We've seen what he can do on hard courts. He, you know, he's been in a clay court major final, a hard court major final. Can he now show us his best stuff on grass, or is or is he still too lacking in the return to serve department to make that happen? I think he has the serve, but does he? Is is his return game good enough? And and what's what's his, how does he feel right now coming off with kind of a shellacking against Carlos? Granted he made the third set competitive and somehow got it into a tie break after being down two five, but still, uh, he was beaten so soundly the first two sets and Carlos is he's never beaten him yet. And, but, but that was, that was not a pleasant experience for him. And I'm just wondering that, you know, what to expect from him at Wimbledon, whether he can finally have a, have a, have a strong Wimbledon.
2: Yeah, in some ways, I felt like he was he was primed to do a bit better last year. I mean, he had a tough draw with Kyrgios in the third round, and yeah, he had just yeah. won a title the week before. And I felt like his draw was good. Had he got past Kyrgios. yeah, it was a real opportunity to even get all the way to the final, with the way that draw was, in the field was. Wins. And that
0: was that was tough, and the, it was a hard fought and contentious match with Nick. We know that, but yeah. the bottom line is he didn't win it. And I, I just I you know I he's. He demands a lot for himself. He's a he's a really kind of a complicated guy, and sometimes he gets in his own way. He'd be the first mm-hmm. to admit it, but uh, he, he's he's really great fun to watch when he's when he's playing his best tennis. And I hope that we'll see his best tennis at Wimbledon.
2: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to follow, of course, because he's he's now in a relationship with Paulo Bedosa and then he also has some, some off court stuff. Obviously, with like Philippousa not in his corner anymore, and there's. that i
0: think is unfortunate Mm -hmm. vance that i thought was too bad i thought philip there were signs to me that philipusis was was helpful and it once more gets back to his father is his father too too much of an overarching figure is he is he too does he have too much control and i thought i'm sorry that Philippus, who have seemed to have some very good ideas and good technical advice as well I, i didn't want i was sorry that he left the scene and would have preferred that they gave him more of a chance. So, yes, I know it's less, the father's less of a problem in some ways because coaching, you know, he can shout at him now without getting in trouble anymore. Uh, The rules are helping, but I don't see the evidence that his father is necessarily the best man to take him to that, up that next level, you know, from Grand Slam finalist to Grand Slam champion. You know, I just, I could be wrong, but I, I, I believe they need, some other ideas. And Philip Luce's was was, to my way of thinking, a, a good choice. I hope they can find somebody else that, and whoever it is, is able to be given the authority, where Stefano says, look that, you know, I want you to let, it, it's about him now. I want you to take more of a back seat. I, I would hope he would say that, or, but maybe, it's, maybe that's too late.
2: Yeah, I totally agree with you. I, I've always been of the opinion that his father is kind of holding him back more than more than helping him, especially at this point in his career, such a pivotal time that he's in. So, um, but but certainly a couple of other names that just came to my mind. Certainly on the grass, I would say Dennis Shapovalov and Hubert Hurkacz. For me, those are two who I think desperately need a good grass season. Hurkacz in particular, because you know we've seen what he can do semifinals before and won in Hala, but he's just he's not really he's kind of stagnated in in some areas of his game, and I feel like he he could use a really good result just in terms of a boost up, a bit forgotten, and just hasn't looked that great all year. Played a lot of tie breaks and just, you know, haven't felt good about his forehand. And just, you know, you would have thought with Craig Boynton in this corner, certainly you would have expected a bit more. And then Shepard yeah. just with his <laughs> erratic nature.
0: Great. great, yeah, I agree. And Craig's done a nice job with him. I don't, I can't really attribute it to Craig so much as that oh Herkatch is just going through a difficult phase here. And you're right, it's been a very disappointing year. Wimbledon, yeah, he could turn it around at Wimbledon. I feel like yeah. he's so different from Dennis in that Kerkosch is percentage oriented. He knows exactly what he's doing out there. He doesn't spray it. He doesn't try to be just some kind of a sparkling shot maker. He plays, cool. he plays to the right patterns, and he has a great serve. And you're right, the forehand sometimes gets shaky, and it is right now. I think that this would be the logical place he could turn it around. Dennis, I don't know. We saw him play Carlos. And he had a 4-1 lead in he, he could have won a set, was up four one and lost the set. And but he can try to draw on the memories as Herkosh can, both of them being the semis like a couple of years ago, you know, Herkosh beating Roger and losing in the semi to I guess to Berrettini and then and then Dennis losing to Novak. They both want to try to draw on those memories. I somehow I'm a bit more optimistic about Herkosh turning it around there. Dennis, it's possible that he suddenly ignites. He is a very streaky player. So it's possible that he gets on another one of those runs. But boy, since Wimbledon a couple years ago, and then Djokovic even went up to him in the locker afterwards and told him he was going to have his day. And I think he really believed that. It's been a very disappointing record for him. And yeah. then for, for Hubie this year, it's been very disappointing. So I'm glad you brought them up. I, I, I'm i a bit more optimistic at the moment about Herkosh.
2: Yeah, I, I certainly agree with that. He can certainly turn it around. Um, but now I want to talk a bit about the women, of course, because the last three matches of this tournament were highly compelling and, you know, it was a great watch. Some of the best matches all year, particularly that mohova Sabalenka match. I think it's just so great to have Mohova back as a legit contender and see what she can do when she's actually healthy, because we know a couple of years ago she beat Ash Barty. She's 5-0 and against top three players. She's had a lot of big wins, but hasn't been able to string together a nice run where more more of the mainstream attention is is on her, and you can really see her sort of all court game. I think to me, she's the most similar. the The most similar comparison is obviously Ash Barty, but just the style of of play that she has with the slice and the big serve, and you know, you know, maybe the serve isn't quite a, as as big of a weapon as Ash, but she certainly has that all court game, and you know, draw, drawing players forward and just you know a very enjoyable game, knocks out knocks out volleys at the net, and it seemed to work really on, on on clay so well, and this is probably not even her best surface. So I, I'm just happy to see her do so well, and hopefully she can stay healthy because she, she can be a real mainstay in the top 10.
0: Well, listen, when she got going in both matches, she it was spectacular to watch, and I don't know how she turned that around from 2-5 in the third of the semis and 22 out of 27 points. I mean, that she saves a match point, and then not only that, what nobody talks about is that Sabalenka at five all at 40 15, and then suddenly serves a couple of doubles and Mohova breaks her there and wins the match. Then the final, again, to be down six, two, three, love to Iga and then win that set seven, five and go up the early break two love in the third. And then it was a real tussle from there. And she's down three, two, then she's up four, three serving and finally loses the match the last three games. But I agree with you. She's there. There are, She's very reminiscent of Ash. It means she's got a good, complete all-around game. She's very explosive. She volleys exceedingly well. Um, yeah, I hope she stays in the forefront. I hope she stays healthy because uh, she almost she put herself in a position to even win that final. I give Swiatek a lot of credit for pulling it out in the end because it was completely slipping away from her. And Jovova is, is a real talent. And she's a real crowd pleaser because you don't always know what's coming next, you know, whether she's got, she comes forward a lot, doesn't hesitate, has the good serve, terrific technique on the volley. She's got a lot of verb. So I share your view that you hope she can stay at this level, keep going now and and, and make a move because women's tennis would, would benefit from somebody who has that kind of style and that, that kind of versatility.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. And of course, um, a bit of a disappointing end for Sabalenka as well to have not closed out that match just because, you know, she was, she's was she been so good all year. She's been the best player really in 2023. So for her to have the final right there and not get there uh, has to be certainly disappointing because she has lost quite a lot of semifinals now. But this it's one... true, is,
0: but at least she, she can console herself a bit knowing she won the last major, you know, and she yeah. got... she. She got it done in Australia, which was important to her. So I think she'll. The important thing for her is to come back strong at Wimbledon, where she's a real candidate to win the title and see what she can do there. Not, not, not dwell too much on this defeat, which was devastating in its way. But just start thinking about Wimbledon and how it's been a great year all around, and just build on that. And I, I had the feeling, looking at her reaction, that she's going to be able to do that. But obviously it yep. was a it was a brutal blow for her because she wanted to get another chance, play Iga in a big final. That would have been very interesting. I would have still think Swiantek would have won, but she would have been pressed very hard.
2: Yeah, no doubt about it. And obviously I was very impressed by Iga in that final and just her her ability to just win it in the end because you know she was down a break twice in the third. And then yeah. even at four all, she was down a break point and she hit this amazing backhand approach. It was a very tough shot, really low. And didn't even have to hit a volley after that. And then two unreturnable serves to hold for 5-4. And that just puts so much pressure on Mohova, who is feeling it physically and also serving to stay in the in the match. Yeah, and
0: also, what I also liked was Iga came in a couple of times there near the edge. She made one beautiful back-end yeah. volley down the down the line winner. And I hope that will sort of sink into her system a bit. There are times when she hesitates to come forward. She doesn't yep. really like coming in. She's not as comfortable, even though I think her volleying technique is, is fine. So she's not taking advantage of shots that could get her up there in the transition game. She's just got to have be willing to occasionally get past, but to make that move forward when it's there, it just would make her a more complete player, make her a better player. So I, that was an important win for her to do it in that fashion, as opposed to the straight set finals that she's played the three times previously in the major finals to get this one done in three from... Kind of dire, a dire position twice in the third set, as you said. Good good effort.
2: Yeah, certainly so. And, and of course, you know, there were, in a way, I feel like she really kind of could you could have used this title just because of the aura that she has here and just, you know, not having won a big title since the U.S. Open and just with Sabalenka, Rybakina, you know, just more players on her heels. I felt like this was huge for her just and it has to be one of the most satisfying, the most satisfying of her four majors so far just in terms of the you know coming back from that adversity in the final you know had won her first seven sets which is an outstanding record in major finals and she's now got four on the board and you got to think at least at the french open alone she can win another four or five so it's it's yeah i
0: think so and, uh, certainly another 3 uh, i would say 3 3 great chance maybe more but 3 mm-hmm. wouldn't surprise me at all and then yeah i think she's got more us opens in her she should be able to start getting some things done in Australia and we'll find out about Wimbledon. I, I believe that she, you know, with her mobility, I mean, she's so fast foot, and you know, her, 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 her movement around, just her general movement around the court. I feel like, you know, she ought to be a good grass court player on for that reason alone. And yeah. uh, let's, let's see what happens this year. You know, Rebecca, Rebecca now has to defend, she may well defend. That wouldn't shock
2: me. Yeah, totally agree. I think I have Rubikina as the favorite just right now. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I think she's supposed to play one warm up tournament the week before Wimbledon, so you know she's another one just like Carlos who doesn't have that experience uh, on the grass yet, even though she's won Junior Wimbledon and you know, but that was just because she was so much better than everyone else. So it's it's interesting to see just how she performs this time. And last year she had that whole pressure of the whole streak. Uh, yeah, a lot exactly. of expectations, exactly. and you didn't really deep down believe she she was any good on grass. So I think I think this year could be a, a little different. You could see her going further.
0: Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. It's an interesting time for the women, and Savalenka and Swiatek are going to be in a battle for that number one ranking, and Rebakana is going to be right in there too, and maybe Naomi is going to make her move and, and and sort of join them and make it more of a big four than a big three, and. I'm looking forward to it. You know, Wimbledon. Wimbledon will tell us a few things.
2: Yeah, certainly. And and look, I hope we get Sabalenka, Rabakina, and and maybe one of Jabour and Mohova in the semifinals. That would be yeah, oh, the best be lineup. I think we could ask. for. Yeah, it. we
0: shouldn't leave. Definitely shouldn't leave Jabour out of it.
2: Yeah, for sure, because you know she had no expectations coming into this tournament. But I felt like that was maybe an opportunity missed to get to a to get to the semis. Probably would have lost to Shvantek, but but um, yeah. But yeah, hopefully should she should have been
0: there. Kind of yeah, idea. I agree. She should have been there.
2: Yeah, for sure. But but Steve, this was this was an awesome blast as you know, as it always is, and I can't wait to do the Wimbledon recap, which should be right around the corner.
0: Yeah, same here, bunch. It was fun, and it was it was it was a very enjoyable couple of weeks that that French one of them. I enjoyed that one more than I have in a long time there, and so many interesting things happened that it sets the stage for a really compelling Wimbledon, I think.
2: Yeah, totally agree and look forward to it. Thank you so much Steve.
0: Okay, thanks much.